Hello, and welcome to the We're Not Stump podcast. I'm your host, Mike Boland, and I'm a congenital amputee of the right hand. In this show, I will interview other amputees and allow them to tell you their incredible life stories. I'll also feature family members of amputees and others who support the amputee community, all in an effort to discuss the challenges and triumphs of those living with limb loss. So stick around and listen to inspirational stories and find out why we say we're not stumped. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the We're Not Stumped podcast. My name is Mike Boland, and today I have Felicia Robinson on. Felicia became an above-knee amputee on March 16th of 2021 after suffering complications stemming from a blood clot in her right leg. After doing quite a bit of research, Felicia found there is really not a central place to go to for information for people like her. So she decided to take on that challenge and create a website that is both a wealth of knowledge and information. So Felicia, thank you so much for being on the We're Not Stump podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, I'm honored and blessed. And I'll tell you, we, we had, just so people are listening right now, we had about a 50 minute conversation before this episode. It was <laughs> one of the, I love doing that. I said it uh, to Amira on the last episode. It's so fun to be able to talk to people and get to know them. So I appreciate the time that you gave me there. What we always do on the We're Not Stump podcast is allow our guests to say, to tell their story in their own words. So Felicia, I'd, I'd love to hear the Felicia Robinson story. Okay, great. So um, I am, I'll tell my age, I'm 47 <laughs> years old. Um, and I was, I guess I could say fairly healthy before this, still actually fairly healthy. Um <laughs> Not a whole lot has changed, maybe besides the numbers in my weight, but that's another story. Um, but uh, I'm married. I have three children. Um, I'm only child from my mom, but then I'm the oldest of nine kids from my dad. Uh, I have a big family on that side. I'm, I'm very close with a number of my um cousins. Uh, I have um, a pretty good amount of what I would call friends and um, I uh, prior to this I was working as a I just actually gotten what I consider to be one of my dream jo uh, jobs as a social worker. I had just started in January, um, I started on January 19th, and then this happens starting March 11th. Uh, wow. So I literally, you know, only had the job a few months, but I had been a, applying for this job for probably five years prior to that to then get the job and it in so quickly. And honestly, uh, for just that short period of time, those people still know me. They are very um, supportive of me. In fact, I still speak with the HR person sometimes on a personal basis. Uh, they still have my name stating, whenever you're ready, you can come back. Um, at the highest levels, according to the HR person, um, it, it's just been, yeah, it's been really, really touching, you know, and uh, um the, the number of people that have just been there for me. Um, and I'm, 
I was a student prior to COVID. I actually took a little break. I'm a, a master of social work student. And I took a little break prior to COVID and then COVID happened. And then this happened during COVID. Yeah. So I tried to get back into school, uh, which is a whole different story because I'm kind of stuck in an internship process and I can't get out yet to do that field work. So I'm stuck in field classes until I can go out and do that. Then I had to pull my enrollment back again. But anyway, um, I have a bachelor's in uh, psychology. I really, really love psychology. And um, honestly, you're probably the first person I've really kind of shared this with besides people who are close is that maybe one day I'll have the opportunity to coach people or counsel people or something. I don't know if it would be amputees. I have a lot of other things that I'm passionate about, but I'm also trying to find out where God wants me to be. So uh, that is also something that rolls over in my head daily is where does he want me to be? Um, so obviously, you know, I believe in my faith. Um, and on March 11th, just as a short story, I woke up in the middle of the night, nothing different. I just had to go to the bathroom and I suddenly realize not in a haze or anything just completely awake like what's going on why can't I see can't see this is weird and then I guess when I got my focus together what I realized is that it was my nightshirt over my face and so I was like oh no if my nightshirt's over my face I'm upside down but how did I get upside down what happened so I sat down on the floor and kind of just as a backstory, this was a Wednesday or Thursday, I don't quite remember, but the Sunday prior to, I had gone to the emergency because I was having, I believe it was abdominal, it was either abdominal or back pain. So I had gone to emergency and they didn't really find anything too much wrong. Um, they had given me some medication. I had... <clears throat> I hadn't actually started the medication. It was sitting on my desk. I was still working from home, like most people. Um, I was in in a social work training class. So you had to be on Zoom daily. Um, and so I was, you know, I'd show up for that. So anyway, when this happened, I'm like, what is going on? I just went to emergency and now I passed out. There was no warning that I was going to pass out. So I sit down and I'm in a little water closet area of the bathroom. So it's so small. My back's against the wall and I have my two legs on each side of the commode. I'm like, what just happened? But as quick as I thought that, my left leg begins to fall asleep. So I start to kind of pat it because I'm like, oh no, I've got to get up off the floor. I have to get back to bed. It's probably two and two something in the morning. I didn't even know what time it was, but I knew it was the middle of the night. I'm like, I got to get back to bed. I have to get up for work in the morning. But in the midst of doing that and thinking that, my right leg begins to fall asleep. So the left one is waking up, but now the right one's falling asleep. So I start to pat that leg. I'm also trying to be quiet because I didn't want to wake my husband because even on Sunday, I didn't want to go to emergency. He called my mom. 
he called cousins. He said, she won't go. And my mom's like, do I have to come over? And I'm like, fine, <laughs> fine, I'll go. So he knows that I hate to go to the hospital. So I said, oh, no, I don't want to wake him. But the weird part is he didn't hear any of the past out, anything else. He comes to the bathroom and he knocks and he's like, what's going on in there? And I guess I was louder than I thought he could hear me. And I said, come on, come, come in, come in. I'm, I guess I'm also getting panicked. I'm like, help me, help me, hit my leg, hit my leg. It's, you know, I've got to wake it up, help. And he's like, what? So he squeezes, again, it's small, so he can only squeeze his top half in. And he comes in and he's like, oh my God, Felicia. And he's trying to help me hit my leg, but he's an emotional guy. So he was panicked already, but he didn't know what was wrong. Sure. So he's helping me, and I'm like, help me, help me. And now it's intensifying, literally by the second. I mean, all this stuff is just happening, like, and so he's helping me, but I don't know. He may have helped me maybe 30 seconds. I don't even know. It was so quick, and I just screamed, call 911. And he knew, okay, I didn't want to go to the hospital a few days ago, you know, so for that to come up. And so he says, okay, I got to get the door off to get you out of here. And so he says, I'm going to go call. So he runs out to go call and to go get his tool bag. But I become claustrophobic. So I squeeze myself close to the commode. I squeeze the door past me. By the time he comes upstairs, I'm out of the bathroom. I'm out of the water closet area. I'm laying on the bathroom floor and I I had thrown my leg up on the wall. The pain, wow. it was unimaginable. <clears throat> I can't even explain what the pain was like. So by that time now I'm screaming. All I could do was scream and all I could do it, it, when I reflect on it, it's just so chilling because the only words I could form from that point on was God, please help me. And that's all I continue to say over and over and over. And I'm screaming and the, the paramedics come. They're like, what happened? He can't tell them anything. He has no clue what happened. I have no clue what happened except the late, but I can't, I can't talk besides God, please help me. It's the weirdest thing. There was nothing I could say to them. So they take me out. We leave. And I keep saying I'm going to go talk to these people one day if I can find who they were, but <laughs> literally they thought I was on drugs. And so they, once I'm in the ambulance, you know, I can hear one of them say, she's on something. I just don't know what she's on. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know they're going to report this back. Um, I know you and I have never spoke about this, but I – just to put this in, I'm an angel mom also. Uh, this isn't the hardest thing I've gone through. I've lost a three-year-old, and she was born with um, cerebral palsy. So she was born, um, it, she had always been pretty much like a vegetable. Um, and so I've had a lot of doctor's appointments. I've had a lot of, you know, emergency visits. I've had... Um, she had a lot of PT, she just everything, you know, throughout her, her three years that she was here. 
it was nonstop doctor, 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 doctor. And so I'm familiar within that ambulance, they, this information they're relating to the hospital. And so I'm thinking, oh no, they're telling, they're going to tell them I'm on drugs. I've never done drugs. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't drink. But I can't even tell them. There's nothing I can say besides God, please help me. But I'm in so much pain that I was literally, I tried to throw myself off of the stretcher. It was just so awful. And so he said, she's just way too erratic. So he said it again a second time later, she's too erratic. She's definitely on something. I just don't know what. And I'm like, oh my God, please, you know, like, what can I do to tell them? So long story short, we get to the hospital, I pass out. There's nothing I know from beyond that point. I I do know I must have been going in and out at one point because I heard him say, she's not screaming as much. So, you know, she's definitely on something and it's causing her to kind of go in and out. And so we got there. I must have still been screaming, God, please help me, because I don't remember, but I remember him saying, okay, 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 we're here to get you help. That's the last thing I remember. Um, Everything else. I was going to say, you went to bed feeling fine, and then all of this, wow, that's quite a story. Nothing. There was, when, when people ask, like, what signs, what, nothing, absolutely nothing if I could tell someone to be aware of a of a blood clot there was nothing that I could tell anyone Mm -hmm. that was besides maybe that Sunday before maybe that was something um but other than that this is days later there was literally nothing um so long story short I end up at the nearest hospital. I didn't even know where I was. I just knew, you know, that we had made it. That was it. Um, So everything else from that point on is what I've been told after I woke up. Um, I suffered two cardiac arrests. And um, when my husband and mom, because they called him and said, you know, come now. And that was, I guess, after the first cardiac arrest. They called him again and said, where are you? You know, because they couldn't tell him over the phone what was happening. So when he got there was when they told him I had already been through two cardiac arrests. Um, My mom said there was a machine at that point physically pumping my heart. Um, Everything that I know of more or less had shut down everything. Um, And so they decided They knew I had the blood clot. I'll start there. They knew I had the blood clot. They decided to do surgery. They did do the surgery, or at least they opened me because I have the marks to prove it. But other than that, you know, we don't know if something went wrong then because the blocks went, the the clots went to my lungs, and boom, that was it. That's all that we know is that they traveled to the lungs, and that was it. And um, so they had decided they would contact Emory University here because they have the ECMO device. So Emory came to the hospital that I was at and 
placed the ECMO on me. They then transferred me to Emory later. They had already told them, you know, they because of COVID, you know, they wouldn't, the only way they would be able to see me is if they were picking me up to come home or if it was an end of life. So needless to say, they contacted them. I think my husband said around 10, 11 o'clock that night and told them to come to the hospital for end of life. Oh, boy. Um, so they came to the hospital. Um, they, you know, reiterated again to them that I would not make it. Um, they had told them I would not make it through to the morning. That also asked them to, they'd asked my husband to make me a DNR. He wasn't familiar with DNR. My mom knew what it was. So he had said no, but then he asked my mom, well, what is that? She said, do not resuscitate. And he was like, oh no, absolutely. You know, absolutely not. So they stayed for a little while and um, they said during that time, my mom felt that God made them come because they said during that time, there was a nurse in the room who kept asking me to do stuff, move your toes, wiggle your fingers, you know, squeeze my hand. And they could see, excuse me, physically see me trying to respond to those actions. Mm -hmm. So they said they knew they weren't there for the same reason that the, that they were called to be there for, you know? So, um, mom, they, they left with a lot more hope. And in the morning, my husband got a call, but it wasn't the call he expected. The call he actually got was to say, there's a whole new team of doctors here, which my mom said she had prayed when she left the hospital and said she needs a new team. She needs a team. Give her the, <clears throat> the best team you can find. So in the morning, they called to introduce the team. And they called to say that my internal bleeding they thought the clots had maybe gone to my heart and that's why there was the internal bleeding and they knew there was nothing they could do. Um, but they figured, no, maybe it's not that. So they called him for an authorization of a CT scan. And he said he was shocked because he's like, he's expecting a different call. So they call him back and they say, well, from what we can tell, it looks like her liver is severed. We don't know if that happened maybe during the resuscitation events or, you know, what happened, but we'd like to do surgery. So they opened me from the bottom of my chest cavity to the very end of my stomach. Um, they would, long story short, they would leave me open until the 16th. Wow. So this was now the 12th. Um, they told him that they didn't want to close me back because if they closed, you know, they didn't want to have to reopen me if they had to do more surgery. Yeah. So they, you know, placed the filter to make sure the clots, uh, because I, well, my vascular surgeon explained in the, which was kind of what I wrote about in the blog is that, because of the medicate, because of the clots, they gave me blood thinners. But because of the surgery, they couldn't do any more blood thinners. So it was oh, wow. a, they were in a, you know, kind of what do we do here? Yeah. Moment because they really didn't know 
what to do, but they had, they couldn't give me any more medications, but they knew the clots were traveling. Mm. So they placed a filter and the filter is like a little, um, what he explained to me, it's like a little umbrella sort of thing. And it goes in the upper part of your chest. And what it does is it catches the clot. Oh, interesting. So if they travel, go into this thing, um, this filter. Mm -hmm. And so they place the filter. I had any number of surgeries. (laughs) I, I don't even know. Even huh? tell you, you know yeah. My husband said it was just phone call after phone call after phone yeah. call because even once you, what I've learned from him in this process, once he authorized it, somebody else had to call back to verify that he authorized it. So it would be kind of a two part thing. Um, <clears throat> so it was just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And then finally on the 15th, they had decided they would be able to remove the ECMO. ECMO, just in case anybody doesn't know, ECMO is designed for uh, patients that are having some sort of heart surgery. So what ECMO does is it takes the blood out and puts it back in. It works as the heart. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. So what it's doing is it's operating as the heart as long as that person is in surgery, it isn't designed to work as life support or to work for an extensive period of time because it's also cutting off the blood flow of oh. the lower lip. Oh, because it goes inside of like, I guess kind of like the growing area almost. Mm-hmm. And it goes inside of like some stomach area or chest cavity. There's like these two tubes is what I, what's been explained to me. So one takes the blood out, puts it in the machine, you know, kind of cleans it up and sure. puts it back in. And then puts it back and in. So it's right. It's recirculating. But again, it's meant for even if you have a 20 hour long, you know, heart surgery, open heart surgery or something, it will be enough where still they could take this machine off and you not lose any limbs. But that's, this is, is now. Oh, I was just going to ask a ahead. question. So it kept you alive, but it also probably cost you a limb. Is that correct? Am I saying it correctly? That is exactly correct. Okay. So that is actually what cost me the limb, not the blood clot, which is, you know, an interesting story in itself yeah. is that the ECMO is what actually caused it because of being on for so many days. So they knew that they constantly checked the pulse and all mm-hmm. of that foot and all these things and they knew they were losing it so they knew this may happen but they had um because at one point my mom asked well can't you just remove it and they said no she'll die if we remove it wow so it was you know something that had to be on the entire time until they could get me stable um and as you read in the blog you know my doctor clearly tells me that I had 0% chance to make it without that regular wow. life support would not have helped me. Basically wow. they could not have saved me with normal life support. And, so it was absolutely necessary. And you had said earlier too, in a private conversation that there was a chance you were possibly going to lose your right hand as well because of the life saving measures. Is that correct? Yes, right hand and right foot. Oh, wow. In fact, 
um, when I woke up, both were black. They were still black. I mean, completely black. My, I couldn't see my foot, but even once I was able to see my foot, my toes were still completely black. So my toes, they remained black for, oh my gosh, I don't even know how long. It was several months. Wow. In fact, it kind of just grew away little by little. And Mm -hmm. it was the weirdest thing because the whole toenail and the black came off all together. Unfortunately, the only one that didn't is my middle toe. I lost the, like the end of it, basically where the nail was, the entire part of it came off with the black. I think another thing that shouldn't get lost on this story is this all happened during COVID. So your ability to communicate with your family, your family's ability to communicate with you, and then the fact that you had a tracheotomy as well, really kind of affected the whole communication. You didn't even realize what you had been going through or what had happened to you for what, two weeks, I think, after that, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it was probably, I don't know the exact date I woke up because I was um, still in in ICU. Sure. So there wasn't any, you know, there's like, nothing in there but some boards that they write on I don't even know if the date was on there um but I I couldn't tell you the date I woke up they my family really doesn't recall um and they it was still probably some days before they were able to see me yeah um because i don't even know what time of day it was you know when i would wake up go out wake up go out wake up you're mostly sleeping in there and so you know once it once i became more stable i and i knew it was really serious the first time i woke up (laughs) it was weird because the doctor was like in my face like a movie and she's like do you know where you are and I said, no. And then she told me I was at Emory. And, you know, this is off topic. But because of my dreams, there were some creepy things in my dreams. I didn't believe her. Um, and so I shook my head no, and I just went back out. When I woke up again and seen her again, I knew I was actually awake. And um, she was kind of running around then. And there was always a nurse or somebody in the room. And she said, oh, my God, I still need to call her husband about authorization for whatever it was. And I'm thinking, authorization. Okay, I knew I came to the hospital, but this must be really serious. So I knew something serious had happened, um, but I didn't know what. I knew I had gone to the hospital. So I wasn't shocked that I was in the hospital. I did kind of remember those things, but I didn't know anything in between. And again, I also didn't know this is like two, three weeks later. I, I don't know that, yeah. you know, so I'm just under the assumption, okay, I something happened. And then, you know, as I explained to you in the private conversation, yes, my, my leg, I didn't know it was gone um, because I couldn't move. I couldn't sit up. I yeah. couldn't do anything. I could feel this intense pressure of my leg being asleep because it's dangling through the bed. So I kept thinking, wow, what kind of bed is this? It has this unique (laughs) hole, like this cutout for my leg. I 
said, this is just odd. And I'm like, I wish they would pick it up. Now, my trach wasn't actually done early on. My trach was done after my amputation. So because I was still on a ventilator for that amount of time, I think my trach was put in around the 21st. So my amputation happened on the 16th. And um, again, I'll say this to you on the podcast. I did not say it in my blog. I said uh, personal information. But my second major surgery on that day was a hysterectomy. Oh, my husband had to make a decision for me to have a hysterectomy on the 15th when they decided they would close me. They couldn't. My uterus had swollen so, so large that my stomach would not close over the top of it. So they then called him back to said, to ask him if he could make a decision on a hysterectomy and whether that would be full or partial, but that would pretty much be the only way at that point that they could close me. Luckily, we had had these conversations already about hysterectomy because of some other issues I was having. Sure. Uh, because so far, the reason for the blood clot, they think, is because of a birth control that I had just started two weeks before this event happened, wow. two to three weeks before this event happened. Um, and I started it because of a heavy menstrual cycle that a lot of women go through. Um, and then this happened. So they believe that was the culprit of the blood clot. So we had already had these conversations about hysterectomy. So he really didn't have to make a huge decision on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But because of that, to have both of those major surgeries on March 16th. Wow. Uh, that's, yeah, there was a lot more to the story that I didn't realize. So thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. You also talked yes. about in, in the private conversation about a lot of the research your husband was able to do and maybe the lack of some of the resources and that kind of inspired you to make your website. Is, is that kind of how that transpired? Yes. He did a lot of research. Um, he would come and tell me things when he could have his, his visits, uh, again, still being during COVID. Yeah. Uh, the hospital had opened up certain days, maybe like three days a week that you could visit. Um, and only one person could visit at a time. So my initial visit, they did let me and my mom come. Um, and then after that, they had to kind of flip-flop who could come visit me. And so he would tell me things when he would come or if we talk on the phone. And he was learning a lot. And he loves the Genium X3, which is by Autobog. But it is uh, very difficult to get. You have to be one of those amputees who are doing all of those amazing running, jumping, hiking, okay. <laughs> all of those things in order to really qualify for this thing because it's waterproof and all these other things. Interesting. And um, we love technology. And so he said, <laughs> you know, I really want her to have the best. And I know she was one the, you know, this, the one I'll when he'd come visit me and say, this is what you're going to get. And I've looked at this, and I've looked at this, and I think this is cool. He was looking at sockets. He was looking at complaints about sockets. He had joined amputee groups. I mean, he was doing so much stuff. That's great. But we had gone when we finally were cleared to go for the visits to the prosthetist. Um, we're gone. And 
they started telling us about some of these things he knew about k levels he knew about all these things and so um they told him it's almost impossible to get this x3 like and she's just not going to qualify unless she can prove that she was doing these things prior to the amputation and so then they talked to us about sea leg and uh, you know you being an upper limb yeah. amputee you're not familiar but sea leg it's like the i don't know it's like the Ford, I guess, of, of card. It is like the most used uh, knee okay. for above the knee amputees. And so they spoke to us about sea leg and um, they gave us a really a wealth of information. And then we decided on our own, okay, well, we'll visit some other ones. So we visited Hangar. We spoke with um, another one, uh, Socketless Socket. We did a Zoom with them because they're they're in Florida, mm-hmm. and we visited Hangar. Well, when we visited Hangar, <clears throat> excuse me, the prosthetist there talked to us about the links. What is that? So he explains. I've been using it. He's he's younger, and maybe that's why I don't know. He originally went into this uh, because he liked the prosthetic. But then he said he switched and became a prosthetist, but he is like so in love with technology and these prosthetics, so he tries to keep up. And so I'm like, what is that? So we come home, we look it up, and we find the website. But other than that, we find very little information on it. Well, we then... We, we're Googling, we're Googling, and we happen to find, and I'm sure you may be familiar with her, Kosi Talk. Um, we find her on Facebook, and she has a video of somebody who's a, who's a um, it, uh, what do you call it, bilateral amputee, yep. and he uses them. He's an older gentleman. He's so funny. Um He's been an amputee for I don't know how long, but he's hilarious. And he uses the legs. And we watched the video on it. And we thought, well, why didn't they know about the links? And what we determined during these video, uh, during these visits, these interviews, and what I try to share with other amputees is always interview multiple. Because what I wasn't aware of, me becoming this way, is that this is a lifelong relationship. I never knew that. I, when I found out I was an amputee, I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to eventually get up. I'll get a leg and I'll get walking. That's how it works. I see other people do it. You just put it on and you go. And so when I went for the first visit, they were a little I think kind of thrown off too because some of the things that we were like, he's like, oh, she likes to dance and she likes to skate and she, you know, and we're telling them all this stuff and I'm going to get back to that and they're going, okay, you know, yeah, great. And although they, they're great because they never tell you you can't do it, but they know that it, as an above the knee, the likelihood of some of the things that you're saying, the leg doesn't have all these capabilities to do all these things. Um, it's limited to what it can do. You can't really make a lot of side movements very mm. easily. You have to pick that leg up and move it. 
Whereas a below the knee, they still have their knee mm-hmm. so they can move. And so you don't know that. So again, yeah. coming in, I didn't know these things. Sure. Didn't know it was a lifelong relationship. Didn't know these components need to be replaced every so many years. So they, they really had a long, we were probably there two hours for this, this meeting that was supposed to run maybe 45 minutes to an hour. And I was blown away when I left. Um, and then the second one with Hanger, he really didn't go into that much depth. He just kind of talked about things, but he introduced me to the link. But it let me know, even during the visit with uh, Socketless Socket, I learned a lot about it, but I couldn't really understand. I didn't really have the connection. So I ended up where I am with ProCare because I made a connection with the individuals Mm. and the things that they explained were so necessary. And so I learned a lot and it helped me learn the the hospital did recommend ProCare initially, and that's who we ended up going with. But I know that you don't have to go with who's recommended to you, that you should do several interviews because, and this is a real interview. It's for you. It's not for them. This is who you're choosing to have your care with. This is who you're choosing to have these components with, you want to know that they're not afraid of either the technology that you want, that they're on pace with what your desires are, that they're not afraid of where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do. And that's very important. And so I do want people in the amputee community to know that you don't have to choose just the person and you should interview multiple. And we did. And I'm glad because it helped me learn about the links, but it helped me understand that where, why, why doesn't this information exist? Why doesn't somebody tell you you're going, I didn't even know they're called prostatists. We didn't even know how do you even get to them? Where do you get the leg from? This was not something where even somebody was able to come visit me because it was COVID. So I couldn't have a peer visit from amputee coalition. Although my husband didn't even find them when he was Googling all this stuff. So there's so much that we didn't know. We kept asking the hospital, well, how do we get to these people who do the leg? Who is that? Where are we going? And they kept saying, oh, don't worry. You'll get to that. Oh, don't worry. Until we eventually found out that the vascular surgeon's office would set that up that I needed a prescription to get a leg, that they had to clear certain things. None of these things were said until, I'm going to say maybe, I think I may have just gotten out of rehab when it was finally told to me. And so that, even with all of the research he was doing, he couldn't find these answers. And then there were little gadgets. And then on the way home, as I explained to you, when he picked me up, they did have, luckily where I was, they have a little fake car and they have you practice getting in the car. They did tell us about the little handle that I use on the door. That would be helpful. Mm. Um, Because of everything I had gone through, I had a lot of issues, including in acute rehab. I couldn't even take advantage of everything 
because there was still leftover blood left over in my abdomen. They thought it was maybe from a washout of a surgery. It made me in, intensely ill to the point where I I lost about 50 pounds or wow. so within, wow. you know, two and a half months. So I was very weak. Um, it, yeah, it was just, uh, I didn't even learn how to sit up until maybe a month later. Wow. So everything was kind of, you know, because of all I had been through, this wasn't a normal thing. Um, and so there was just a lot that I didn't get to, uh, I guess, what some people go through as a normal transition. They learn a lot of these things, even pre-surgery, sure. before they make the decision. Yeah. They learn a lot of these things where that wasn't the case for me. So I was like, where can people go when we found out about when he picks me up at the hospital, they say, don't, we have two SUVs, but one is smaller and they say, don't bring the taller one because she might not be able to get in bring the smaller one. Well, the smaller one has side board. Yeah. Side. So when we back the walker up, the walker stopped. Oh. And we could not get me to the seat because there's a huge gap. Wow. So he ended up having to physically pick me up and put me in the car. And wow. so he's like, okay, so why doesn't something exist for this? And so, you know, as I told you on the way home, he's like, something has to, ex you know, why doesn't something exist? He comes home and I guess he searched. I didn't even know he's searching for it. And he comes to me and says, look, this thing does exist. And so that device is completely foldable, completely flat. You wouldn't even think it would hold the amount of weight that it does. But it unfolds and you can adjust it to whatever level you need to for the seat. And the person sits on the seat and pushes themselves backwards. It it wow. um, sits on the cart, on the seat in the car, and they push themselves backwards onto the seat. Got it. Okay. And you just take it out and fold it back up and put it away. And he and found so, that on Amazon. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. He found it on Amazon. And so we found that. And so that was kind of like a aha moment. Sure. And then as time would come, the links became another. And I'm like, why doesn't this stuff exist? Yeah. Like where, why are we finding stuff by accident? And by yeah. where is this stuff? How can we, why doesn't it exist? And he said, well, maybe that's for you to do. And I said, nah, not for <laughs> me to do, but I mean, maybe somebody should do it. And then I think really later, well, no, I think, I no, I know that did happen before. So I was denied, as a lot of amputees are, for the links. I was denied. They said that I was denied for a microprocessor completely, not just the link. So I couldn't have even have gotten a C-leg. They said, no, that... And I forgot the reasoning, but it was really weird and use this word, but my prosthetist was stumped. <laughs> she, uh, she said, I've never seen this before. I don't even know what to do. I have never, as long as I've been doing this, seen this response. Mm -hmm. Well, things happen for a reason. Yeah. So the links connected me to Kosi. Well, oddly enough, Kosi had a show where there was, she, 
oftentimes she would talk about a lady or it might have been on that show who would help with insurance denials. Oh, nice. And so I went, okay, first they put in the, the appeal. The appeal got denied. So now I say, you know, Kosi always talks about this lady, Julie. Let me reach out to her. So I sent her a message in Facebook. She said, tell me a little bit. And she said, Julie's a below the knee. I don't think she does above the knee, but I'll ask her. So Julie said, sure, I'll be happy to talk to him. So we connect with Julie. She helps us out. She does all the paperwork. We send it back and we get the approval. Oh, very nice. Wow. Yes, we get okay. the approval. And so when I'm, when, so now I think, okay, People don't know this stuff out there. So I reach out to Julie, say, hey, Julie, do you mind if I include you on my website? And she says, sure. But then when I go to Kosi's website, I ask her if I can include her. She says, sure. When I go to her website, I see Amp You Up. And I said, what is that? And when I click on it, it's Julie's website. Oh, very nice. She has a whole website where you're just filling your information where her organization helps with denials. And that's called Amp You Up? It's called Amp You Up. Okay, it's I'm, on my website. It's perfect. on the extra, extra page. Yes. And so these things are things that people don't know yeah. exist. Yeah. They don't know that things like 50 legs exist to help with um, providing a lower limb uh, device when you don't have insurance or, you know, when they're not going to give you one or <clears throat> when they're only approving you for a certain type or, you know, there's all these things that are out there, but they're all separate and yeah. there's nowhere to go for them. I believe Amplitude though may have just developed a resource. And they, I, I they did. You're, you're correct. I, I think yes. you're correct on that. Yes. Yes. They just developed a resource. Yeah. I haven't gone through everything um, on there. I kind of scanned through a little bit, but I said sure. I would take my time to go through there. And you see, I'm not afraid to mention somebody else because we're all here to help. Absolutely. So that I does agree. not bother me. Not at all. I love what they have done. They have more exposure than I do. So great hats off to them. Um, I think that's awesome. But I'll still and say this. You, you took on the challenge of creating that website. As we talked about earlier, it's not like you were in the industry of building websites and you did it. And your website is a wealth of knowledge. As a matter of fact, you mentioned Cozy, Cozy Speaks. Is that what Cozy Talks? Cozy Talks. Yes. I learned about that from your website. So wow. your website is a wealth of knowledge. And let's talk about the URL. It's a cutabovetheknee.com. Is that correct? Yes. Cutabovetheknee.com. And I will. And yes, Cozy, um, she does upper limb things too, just so you know. So she's not, she's a, she's a um, PT for amputees. Perfect. And um, she definitely has upper limb videos also. So there's things available to people like yourself too. Um, but yes, it's cut above the knee. That wasn't the initial name I came up with. I can't remember the name I came up with, but one day that came Oh, I like to, it. Uh, my mind, and I say, you know what? 
I'm going to just go with it because if I just keep thinking, I will never yeah. do it. Yeah. I will never make it up. I made myself do it and I made myself actually release it ready or not on my anniversary. I think I did it on. Wow. Um, yeah. When it was one year later, wow. I released it then. I continue to work on it. There's still more and more that I want to add to it. But I definitely try to make sure that people know. And it's also because my husband met other amputees. And he spoke to one one day and he said, uh, he asked him something about a microprocessor. And he said, what is that? And he's a bilateral. He said, what is that? I don't even know what that is. And he's like, what? And I was shocked. And I'm saying he doesn't know what that is. This guy has been an amputee for years. He, what, Why doesn't he know what a microprocessor is? I learned about how much energy you, you know, uh, use and how the microprocessors help you reduce that energy, which of course helps with your overall health. It helps with um, extending your life because oh. you're not utilizing so much just to take a step or yes. just to do movements. And so because these devices learn you, they're, they are there to react as close as possible to a normal limb. So uh-huh. they're trying to determine, are you falling or are you just stepping? And because they work through apps, there's things that people could do to say, oh, okay, well, now I'm riding a bike. I don't want it to be as tight because I'm not falling. I need the need to be looser so that I can't wow. just ride the bike. And they can set these things to do those things. Or like I said, the X3 being waterproof. Mm. People that maybe do a lot of, uh, you know, water sports where sure. they don't want to take their leg off. Maybe they fish and they go on a boat. They yeah. don't want to take their leg off. Maybe they just walk a lot. Maybe they don't do anything but walk. And if they walk their neighborhood or something, they don't want to get caught out in the rain in Florida (laughs) or Georgia where it doesn't warn you. It's just thunder and then boom. They don't want to get caught out and their leg is exposed. You know, that could still be helpful for them. So there are these things and there are other sockets. They, there are, even in my research, because I learned about sockets, it helped me because my limb does that awkward thing of shrink, grow, shrink, grow, shrink, grow. So every week when I went to the prosthesis, it was too big, too small, too, too big, too, too small, too big, too small. And by the eighth one, she just said, okay, we got to figure something out. And so I said, I need adjustable. And so I used medical the boa system um because the prosthetist can do it can do it there themselves because my limb has still shrunk soon as i left i have to wear socks but i still use my um it's still adjustable and it still works for me because it does provide that tightness that i need i need the tightness i need to be able to feel that that leg is on for me to feel secure but I do want to provide somewhere that people can go and just learn about something. Maybe there's a device that they're looking for that yeah. they don't think exists, like the one that I found. And yeah. so that's on my website. 
Maybe there's something they need help with getting in the door. Maybe as a woman, you're saying, I, I, I just can't carry these purses on my shoulder anymore. I need something that goes across me. I just have things like that. Maybe you are recovering and you need something to help to do hand exercises. Maybe you need bandages. You know, there's just, I try to think of so many things that I use and Mm -hmm. that were helpful and beneficial to myself and think of those resources that somebody might um yeah, somebody need. might need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's cutabovethenee.com. And yes. I liked I liked that URL so much. And I, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, somebody has a cut above the knee, the website, that name has to be on the <laughs> We're Not Stumped podcast because those names just kind of go together. And I, I want to ask about your future. One thing I do want to say is that you started a blog. I think it's relatively recently. And uh, th- that is a wealth of knowledge. You have four posts on there. And it goes from anywhere from the physical to the mental to the emotional. And I would say that anyone out there that is really going through any kind of amputation, I think it'd be re- well worth their time to go to your website and read your thoughts on those blogs. They did a great job on that. So what is the future though? What, what are you looking to do in the future? Um, excuse me. Obviously, I'm still going to keep working on my website. That never um, ends. That never ends. <laughs> right. That never ends. <laughs> it never ends. Right? I can tell you that. Yes. I want to keep learning as much as I can. I want to keep providing as much information as I can. I also um, hope to become some sort of resource. Uh, I do want to consider later um, joining Amputee Coalition and becoming one of those peer folks. Um, I do also want to I also have recently started to get more involved on the blood clot side Uh, so I hope to provide information on that I also at the end of my blog of the conversation with the doctor I do plan to go speak uh, to them at the hospital as he's asked for me to do So that is something I will also do. And I hope to one day maybe become some sort of coach. I've always had a dream of offering counseling, but I hope to maybe one day do that. But probably the biggest thing, I just hope I continue to listen for what God's direction is and where he wants me to be and what he wants me to do. Because what my dream was prior to doing this ended with this. And there is a reason that I believe he cut it so short. There is something that he's asking me to do that that's not it it could still be in that realm i don't know yeah but i do know that i feel deeply that there's something that he needs me to do and so i want to always stay open to that to where he's leading me um to go 
And in the meantime, of course, like I said, I just hope to continue to learn. I'm learning so much more to be patient about things. I'm continuing to work on me in the meantime and continuing. um, I plan to get myself into counseling and um, I just hope to continue, like I said, to learn and to be open. I want to be able to communicate with people who do feel different or who do feel that people that are not where they are are not where they should be. Um, it's something that I learned in, in my social work studies in school was meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. Oh, wow. And that is something that stuck with me when I learned that. And I learned that, oh gosh, probably four years ago or so. And I remember that stuck with me so much. And sometimes you have to go backwards to get them. You, you can't just always expect them to catch you. And so I, I want to be able, <clears throat> excuse me, to communicate with people in our community that feel different about where an amputee should be or how they should think. And I want to have the patience to be able to do that in a way that is not argumentative and to be able to get them to understand and to have their hearts open to the fact that the amputee who's laying in the bed every day is just as great as the one who's climbing a hill every day. There's another way to get them to understand that, but it's not to berate them because they're laying in the bed every day. And so there's just, there's, I'm working on that, yeah. you know, and I'm trying to figure out how I create a blog about that. But in the interim, I'm also trying to learn about those people and why they feel the way that they feel. And at what point, because we all have to realize they weren't always there. Yeah. They did not just wake up and were happy they were amputees. In fact, many of them share their stories. Yeah about what they had to go through and where they had to come from. And there's been a disconnect sometimes Yes. in, in getting there Yes. and saying, I have to pull everybody else out of it. You don't, yeah. you don't. And wow. so I want to be able to find a way to communicate that. I love cheering on other amputees, even when they are taking a first step with a walker in their sure. device or without a device in a walker sure. when they're cooking and, and sitting on their stumps and when they're <clears throat> rolling a wheelchair through the city and when they're doing things that are normal. Yes. I want to, I love applauding them for being normal and for sharing where they are normal and for being okay with that in the midst of all these other people that they may feel just like I do or being great doing 
and being great. I love them too. I applaud them too. Sure. But I want to applaud the people who aren't there yet or who may not ever be there. Um, I was never an athlete before this happened. And so I had to laugh to myself the other day and say, what am I going to be offended for? I was never there before this. I'm never going <laughs> to run. Like, I didn't run yeah. before this. So yeah. I, I think this is not them, but I'm never going to run. So I don't need a running blade. There's no need of me pushing myself to that. But it's okay if I don't need a running blade. Absolutely. I can still apply yeah. the people fighting for everybody to have yeah. a running blade. So it's not about just where I am or where someone else is or, you know, if they don't have a device or if they don't want to use it or if they do want to use it. or I just want to make sure that everybody can feel comfortable with who they are. And if they're not, how do we work with them to yes. get them out of that? What are the things that we can yeah. say that will help their spirit during those times? And so I hope to get there. Well, I'll tell you, it, we're all on different journeys, I think. And I love how you just explained all those different journeys. We're all different. We're all a little bit different, just in general. And we, mm-hmm. uh, an able-bodied person, if that's the correct way to say it, they're going to have their down days too. So at the end of the mm-hmm. day, we're all human. But what I really, and I said this to you earlier, you are you are already given back. Uh, your website is a wealth of knowledge. Again, it's cut above the knee, and I'll have the URL in all the descriptions too. But as I said to you earlier, it's, it's not about just going to like Google Analytics and looking at your KPIs, looking at your bounce rate, looking at h- how the acquisition funnel is. You're making an impact with that site by the people that are going to it and reading your blog. And I think I can't recommend it enough for all amputees to go t- take a look at your site, especially the blog, and look at some of those personal stories. So I thank you so much for being on the We're Not Stump podcast. It was a pleasure to get to know you both before the actual recording started and certainly talking to you during the, this, during the episode. So thank you so much for being on the We're Not Stump podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing to uh, watch your work and hopefully to speak with you in the, in the future. It was really great. You have a very great podcast. And um, I'll say thank you to you for what you're doing. Because what all of us do matter, and you're putting out a way that people can learn and listen from others that are like them or that are in the community with them, or as you say in the beginning, that are family members of them, that are an extension of what this community has to offer and I think that takes a lot of bravery so I I actually thank you for what you're doing well that's very kind of you to say but I took your time today so I thank you <laughs> and you have an open invitation to come on anytime you'd like thank you thank you and the last thing I'll say for those um, create a milestone or some sort of journal for the things that you do, even when they're small, if you combed your hair today, if you stood up and brushed your teeth today, if you used your one arm to button your shirt today. I did. If, if you, um, you took more than 10 steps, if you, no matter 
how small you think it is, create that and create dates next to it for what you did. You cooked your first meal. You will one day be able to look back at that and see how much you've grown in your journey, no matter how small you think that journey is. So I just, that's the last thing that I invite the new amputees to do, even if you're further along, if you want to do it because you still want to see your growth, create that journal and applaud yourself along the way for everything that you learn how to do. Celebrate yourself. Very well said. Thank you. Hosted by Mike Bowler. If you want to be a guest on the program, reach out to Mike at his email address, mike at mikebolin.com. This podcast is produced by One Hand Man Productions. If you are looking to start your podcast, go to onehandmanproductions.com.